Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you all this morning, and good morning to those tuning in online. Wow, this is official. This is the stage. This isn't the gym anymore. We are in the auditorium. Good morning, guys. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 today, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can open up there. We're going to start in verse 17. Uh, If you guys don't own your own Bible, if you head out those doors to the left a little bit, there's a connect table there, and they have a stock of Bibles. If you guys don't own uh, your own Bible, you can head there right now, get your very own Bible, and we'd love for you to to have that as your Bible. Um, Hopefully you can keep bringing that back here every Sunday morning. Uh, I like to share a little bit about myself every time that I come and preach Uh, I just feel like I got to know you guys better, you guys get to know me better. So today I want to share, I was saved, I I came to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. Um, My parents actually hosted a backyard club, VBC, at our house, and I got to be saved in my very own backyard, which was really cool. Uh, So we are having a West Village backyard club this summer. Uh, so if, you're, if you didn't send your kids last year or you did, if you're debating this year, I'd say do it. Um, I remember, though, after I was saved, I remember sitting at church and these plates would get passed by me. There was this little juice and these little crackers. And, and I, I asked my parents, I remember asking my parents, well, what, what are those? And they, they explained to me, well, those are communion Uh, And they are to remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross. I asked if I could take communion with them. And my dad told me that I was a little too young and that I could take it when I was nine years old. I remember when I turned nine uh, at the next communion Sunday, I I was finally nine years old. And we... When we got to church, it was Communion Sunday, and I was so excited to take communion. This was it. This was the moment I had been waiting for uh, for about a year or so at this point. So I get to church, and I say, Dad, this is it, right? This is the day that I get to take communion. So my dad asked me what it meant to take communion and why I wanted to take it so badly. I realized that I didn't actually quite have an answer for him. It was just something that I saw people doing. I saw my neighbors doing it, my friends doing it. Um, So I didn't quite have an answer as to why I wanted to take communion. So my dad told me that I wasn't ready to take it yet. I remember I was so angry that I actually tried to tear my shirt uh, in church, which only, you know, showed even further that I was not quite ready to take communion. So my dad took some time over the next, you know, weeks and months to help me understand what communion really truly was and why it was so important and why I wasn't ready at that point to take it yet. I still don't know why my dad chose the age of nine for me to take communion. I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that says you have to be, you know, a certain age to start taking communion. Uh, But I am so thankful uh, that my dad took that opportunity to show me the importance of communion and what it meant to take it. Gave me a huge appreciation for communion time and for the sacrifice that Christ made for me. 
If you haven't figured it out yet, today we're going to look at what the Bible says about communion, or the Lord's Supper, as we sometimes like to call it. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 17, or 11, sorry, verses 17 to 34, and how Paul calls the church of Corinth to three things. One, correction. Two, connection. And three, confession. And then finish with four, Paul's conclusion to the matter. So correction, connection, confession, and conclusion. You might be here today listening and not have a relationship with Jesus. You might have never heard of communion or the Lord's Supper. And if that is you today, then I hope and I pray that this, what we're going to look at today, uh, you will find it beautiful and you will find it convicting or maybe you're here today and you have been a faithful follower of Jesus for, for many, many years. And you've taken communion thousands and thousands of times. I don't know. But I have found, even in the 14 years that I've been following Christ, um, that I can get into a bit of a rut, a bit of a, a habit, and begin to not even think about what I'm doing at church. I just kind of do it. If that's you this morning, then I hope that what we're going to look at today will be refreshing for you, that you'll be able to look at communion with a renewed viewpoint. So let me pray, and we'll read it in 1 Corinthians together. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to come to be together or to tune in from online, God, and and to be your church, to be your bride, to be your body. God, that we get to, to come together as one and worship you. Um, God, I pray that you would... Um, show us your word today. Show us your truth. God, I, would pr- I pray that you would show us who you are and how much you love us through your word that you've given to us. Pray that today we would come into this time, God, with, with humble, open hearts to learn about who you are and how much you love us. Um, God, that, and we would learn um, why it is that you gave us communion and what that means for us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 17 to 34 says, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you must may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, and another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. 
let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. Our first point today is correction. If you guys were here with us or listened to my last sermon that I preached on 1 Corinthians 13, you might remember that we talked about the context of the book of 1 Corinthians. If you weren't here, or maybe it wasn't that special and you don't remember it, that's okay. Uh, I won't be too sad about it. But we talked about how 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul the Apostle to the church of Corinth, essentially rebuking and correcting the church for their many sins and false beliefs. Paul was rebuking them for many things, and as we saw when I was preaching on 1 Corinthians 13, he was rebuking them for being proud and for bragging about their spiritual gifts. We looked at how the context for chapter 13 was not necessarily romance or uh, how to love you know, well, but it was actually spiritual gifts, and we learned uh, what love looked like through that. Today we are back in 1 Corinthians, so we kind of we carry that context of Paul rebuking and correcting the church for their many sins and false beliefs. Though we're not in the context of spiritual gifts today, our context is the Lord's Supper. So if you didn't notice yet, Brian is actually away today celebrating his mother-in-law's 95th birthday. Can you believe that? 95 years old. <laughs> so when he had told us that he was going to be away today, we as a staff had to figure out who was going to preach and who was going to lead communion. So Brian suggested that I take the chance to uh, preach on this passage for the first time and lead communion today. When I agreed to it, I took some time to go through the passage, to read the passage. And I have to be honest with you guys. These first few verses uh, made no sense to me. That There's the heading, right? The Lord's Supper. But then Paul starts talking about people eating food at their own houses and people getting drunk. I was sitting there wondering how in the world does this all kind of fit together? How does this fit inside the, and relate to communion? I know that we don't do communion the exact same way today, but I didn't think they served that much wine at communion. I was thinking that maybe I would just skip this part and start preaching at verse 23. So if you're thinking anything like that right now, or if you read these, these verses in the past and have just been super confused about what's going on, just know that you're not alone. When I started actually to do some research, though, and, and started reading about the passage and the context and what was going on, the passage began 
to make much more sense to me. You see, the church in Corinth had created this tradition where every week they would meet and eat a meal together. If you didn't know this, the Corinthians invented the church potluck. There were some people in the church who were very poor, and they didn't get to eat much throughout the week. And there were some very rich people who had an abundance of food. So they thought that it would be a great idea if once a week the the more rich group would gather their, their meals together, their food together, and they'd come together as a church body to celebrate and to enjoy a feast together. For some people in the church, this was really their only good, true meal that they had all week long. So this meal, the first church potluck, uh, is what is known nowadays as the love meal, or a cooler name for it would be the agape feast. Now, I did not take any languages in Bible college, so I'm not going to stand here and pretend that I understand the Greek and uh, give you guys a lesson on the entire word. Brian would be much better suited for that. But a quick, simple Google search will show you that agape is a Greek word for a, a certain type of love. It is the love that God shows us and that we ought to reciprocate to one another. And then feast. Well, that's always better than a meal, right? You eat meals every day. You eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But when you come together for family Thanksgiving and that all gets put together, now that is a feast. So bring those two together, and what do we get? We get something that is designed to show one another God's love through lots of food. That sounds pretty good to me. It started as just a meal, but as it developed, as it got bigger, they realized that this was actually a great time. It made a lot of sense to end this time coming together and participating in the Lord's Supper. So once a week, the church of Corinth gathered together for their agape feast and would end it in communion. There was a problem. After a while of this agape feast, the rich decided that they didn't want to share their food anymore. Instead, they would flaunt their food in front of the poor. They would still gather each week as a church. They would still come together for this meal, but instead of sharing their food, they would brag about their food. They would show how much food they had. To to really drive this nail in deep, They would try and eat as much of this food as they could at one time. And they would try and drink as much wine as they could during this meal. So now you have what was once a loving meal, showing each other God's love through food. We now have people who are so full and drunk to not even really understand what they're doing at this point. And this other group who are looking at these rich people and they're saying... You have so much and we have so little. I'm assuming, I'd guess that they would be pretty angry at these rich people. That there'd be a lot of emotions that are going on. So they actually had divided the church. And we read about these factions. We don't really talk about factions, so maybe a better word for us today would be cliques. Think about high school, jocks, nerds, band kids, as you will. So the rich over here, and the poor over here. 
And since the church would end this meal with communion, we're left with these two cliques, the one overfed rich group who were too full and too drunk to even understand what they were doing, and the other group who were too hungry, probably distracted by anger and bitterness and other emotions, both of which who were disrespecting communion and what communion represents. So Paul writes this letter to the church of Corinth to correct the church. Look back with me at verse 22. Paul says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. What? This is a bone chilling, mind completely boggled. What? He is saying that this is very wrong. How can you not get how wrong this is? And it needs to be corrected. Now, we don't meet for uh, an agape meal every week, although I'm sure I wouldn't be alone in, in thinking that that would be pretty cool. Uh, we don't meet for this agape meal. And, and as far as I've seen throughout my interactions, we're not you know, completely separated by the rich and the poor each week. We're not split into these two cliques. Our church doesn't meet the exact issue that Paul was correcting here, but that doesn't mean that there aren't issues or divisions even within our own church. We don't often like to think that there are problems in our own church or possible divisions or cliques, but that doesn't mean that there aren't. It happens to every church. How about political views? Do you think that there might be some divisions here based on political views, even in our own church? Or how about views on COVID? Some say we're overly cautious. Some say that we're not doing enough, that we're careless. Do you think that there might be some divisions based on COVID views? Maybe not in our specific church, but certainly the church in Canada, the church of North America, there is, as I have found for myself, a holier-than-thou division. Oh, you only serve in one ministry? That's cute. I serve in three. Or how about, can you even take communion if you're not serving? I've actually heard that in a church before. We may not be divided in the same way that we're reading about the Corinthians division. But if, a, if Paul was writing a letter to West Village Church or to the Church of Canada, what do you think might follow that? What? Or if Paul was writing a letter to you, what do you think would follow in verse 22? In verse 23, Paul moves from correction to connection, which is our second point today. Look back with me at verses 23 to 26. 
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do it as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as I mentioned earlier, the Corinthians like to come together, right, for this agape meal, the first church potluck. And when they would finish the meal, they came together for the Lord's communion, which we are going to do today. But when the church had created this division, these two factions or cliques, they weren't just being rude to one another. They weren't just being awful people to one another, but they were dishonoring the Lord's Supper. They were making a shame of it. They were, they were putting it to shame. So Paul knew that this too needed to be corrected. So he transitions into this time of reminding them what communion is and why it is so important, which begs the question, what is communion? If you grew up in the church, maybe you simply grew up taking it. Maybe your parents didn't have a role that you could take it at nine years old, but you just simply, you grew up taking it. You ate the bread when the pastor told you to eat it, and you drank the cup when he gave you the go-ahead. Or maybe you've been doing it for so long that it's become like second nature. You don't quite think about what you're actually doing it. It just becomes a habit that you do. Or maybe, maybe this is your first time today coming to church and you have no idea what I'm talking about when I'm saying communion or the Lord's Supper. And that's okay. Both are okay. Jump over with me to Matthew verses, uh, chapter 26 and find ourselves in verse 26 to verse 29. Matthew 26. But for, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians as we'll going, be going back fairly soon. If we're going to understand what communion is and why it's so important, we better start at the beginning, right? So in Matthew 26, we find ourselves reading about Jesus and him spending time with his disciples during the Passover feast. So we find ourselves right after this Passover feast, Verse 26 to verse 29 says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take this, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We see here the very first time that the Lord's Supper is taken. Jesus, who is about to be betrayed, sold, humiliated, beaten, then crucified on the cross, says, eat my body and drink my blood. Why? 
Why would he make this new covenant? Why would he tell his disciples to do this? Well, jump back over to 1 Corinthians and look at verse 24 with me. It says, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again in verse 25, In the same way he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That is why. It's because he is Jesus who was betrayed Sold, humiliated, beaten, and crucified on the cross. Jesus gave us this New Testament. He told us to eat the bread and drink the cup to remember exactly what he did and why he did it. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. He died on the cross to bear the weight and pay the penalty that was for us. To pay the penalty for our sins. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was not up on that cross because of anything that he did. He did not deserve it, but we did. So he tells us to take the bread and the cup to remember that. The old covenant was the blood of a sacrificial lamb, but this new covenant is the blood of Christ. And then, you see, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later and promised to return for us, his church, his bride. Verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember his death, we proclaim his death, we preach his death until he comes again. And he is coming again. This is why. This is why every first Sunday of every month we take time out of our week to take communion together. We do it to remember and proclaim the death of Christ, to remember the sacrifice and the penalty that he paid for us, and to look ahead, longing for the day that he returns. This is our connection to Christ. It is our way of connecting with him and building our relationship with him. Now, something I want to quickly highlight before we move to our next point is some very important wording for as often as you. Look at verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He also says it in verse 25. Do this as often as you drink it. What does that mean? It means that there is no specific measure of time to wait between times taking communion. There is no equation for how often we should take the Lord's Supper. 
It is just as often as we do it, it needs to be to remember what Jesus did on the cross and to long for the day that he returns. At West Village, we like to take communion the first Sunday of every month, but that isn't because we found some secret hidden in scripture that tells us to take it that often. That's just as often as we take it. Some churches like to take the Lord's Supper every single week. Some churches even have their very own service for the Lord's Supper. That is as often as they do it. There is no secret to it. There's no special equation. There is just doing it. And you don't even have to only have communion once a week with us. You can go home. You can do it with your family. You could do it today again with your family at home. You can do it with your kids. You can take it once a week or you can take it once a year. Though for what it represents, I would recommend a little bit more often than that. As long as you do it, to remember the death of Christ, to proclaim his death, and to look forward longing for the day that he returns. Yes, I did say that you can do this with your kids, at home, with your family. Again, I'm not sure why my dad chose the age of nine. I didn't see in anything that we read today that uh, there is a, you can take it as often as you're so old. Though I am so thankful for my father to, to take time and explain to me what communion was. There is just, if you understand that you're doing what you're doing, that you're declaring the Lord's death and his return. So that kind of brings up this question, who can do it? Are there people who can't do it? Well, let's take a look at our next point, three, confession, and see what it says. Read verse 27 to 32 with me. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So the first thing that we get here is this immediate warning to anyone who takes the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. So it does seem that there might be someone who isn't able to take communion. Well, what does it mean to take it in an unworthy manner? Does that, does that mean that, that we cannot take it if we are unworthy? Well, the answer to that one is quick. It's no. Because, let me tell you, no one is worthy. No, not one. We are not worthy to accept this. We are worthy of the cross. We're worthy of death. But we are not worthy to accept this. Jesus is, though. And he paid the price for us so that we can be made worthy through him. So for that, because Jesus is worthy, because he paid the penalty, 
We come to the Lord's Supper praising him. We cannot come to the Lord's Supper worthy, but we can still come to it in an unworthy manner. Does anyone remember the story of Cain and Abel? Now, I'm sure most people in this room who are listening have heard the story of Cain and Abel, probably remember it well. But if not, there is a story that comes from Genesis chapter 4, and it is Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam and Eve, who come to give a sacrifice to the Lord. Both of the brothers give their sacrifice to the Lord, but can anyone what happens with that? It says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his sacrifice, but for Cain and his, he had no regard. You see, Cain brought fruits from the ground because he was to work the ground and, and produce of his fruits. So Cain brought the fruits from the grounds that he had worked. And Abel, Abel was a shepherd, so he brought the firstborn lamb of his flock and some fats. So why was Abel's sacrifice more acceptable or acceptable at all in that manner? Why was Cain's offering deemed unworthy? Well, I can tell you right now, it wasn't because of what they brought. It wasn't because one was fruit and one was a sheep. But it was because of how they brought it. Cain brought his offering of the things that he had because it was time to. Because he felt like he had to. But it was not because he wanted to. Abel, on the other hand, came to the Lord eagerly with all of his best. He gave his very best to the Lord and he didn't hold back. He gave his very best to the Lord, and he wanted to. Cain's offering was disregarded because, not because it was fruit, but because it was seen as chore. Abel's sacrifice was accepted because it was choice. He wanted to worship God. And he wanted God to know how much he loved him and appreciated him and valued him. So again, some things have changed since the time of Cain and Abel. But this certainly hasn't changed. Cain was bringing an offering to the Lord in an unworthy manner. And this is what Paul is warning us about in 1 Corinthians. He's saying if anyone is coming today because of they feel like they have to, or because they feel like it's a chore that they were told to do. If they're coming with a hardness of heart, or they're not coming with their very best, then don't come at all. It is much better for you not to come in an unworthy manner than to come and pay the consequences for it. You see, we all bring sin to the table. I'm willing to bet that not one of us has sinned even today. Not one of us hasn't sinned even today. That we've all sinned since waking up this morning. Maybe it was your drive-in and someone cut you off. Maybe you were short with your kids. I don't know. But I'm willing to bet that none of us, all of us have sinned today. 
It is not what we bring. It is how we bring it. You see, the person coming to the Lord's table who is struggling with homosexuality is no less worthy than the person who is watching porn on his computer at home. One's public and one's maybe more seen. One's private and hidden. But we're all unworthy. None of us are worthy to take this. The person who is coming, who has gone to prison, is no less worthy than the person who can't stop gossiping. We are all unworthy. All of us are unworthy. But let us be like Abel and never like Cain. Let us bring our very best to the Lord because we love him and we want to worship him. Yes, all of us come to the table with sin, but we need to be careful and we need to be repentful. Look at verse 28. It says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Continuing in verse 29, For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Well, what does that mean? It means that there are consequences for taking communion in an unworthy manner. It means that this is an incredibly important time. Now, there's no joking around when it comes to the Lord's Supper. There's no half-heartedly doing anything. You're all in or you're all out. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You see, remember, the Corinthians were in the midst of a church division. There were two cliques and neither side was innocent. The church of Corinth was either coming to the Lord's Supper way too drunk and others were coming who couldn't think about anything else other than the fact that those guys were drunk and full. I'm willing to bet that the poor were likely angry and sad, probably some bitterness built up inside them. Neither side was coming to the table in a worthy manner. Either of them could have been. They had the chance to. But they were both so caught up in themselves that they were certainly not giving the Lord their very best. So another thing about me is that I have the worst posture. You might think that you have bad posture, okay, but I have the worst posture. At work, I sit essentially on the edge of my seat, not in the back like you're supposed to, okay? I sit with my arms reaching forward, to my keyboard, not like you're supposed to, and my back is just hunched over. So if you can't really picture it, you can just kind of picture the hunchback of Notre Dame at an office. I mean, we're even at Notre Dame High School today. I'm literally the hunchback of Notre Dame. Every so often, my back will uh, start to get these worst pains. I don't know what I did. I don't know what to do. So I go to the chiropractor 
and I, you know, they ask me, how did you hurt your back? Let's get it fixed. What, you know, what's going on? I'm, I'm baffled. I don't remember injuring my back. I don't remember, I don't really play sports right now. So, you know, I mean, there's nothing that I really can think of that I did. All I do all day is just sit in an office and sit at my computer. And that's when they go, oh, okay, yeah, okay. I have all the information I need. So they fix my back, send me on my way, and, you know, give me a pamphlet to how to fix my posture. In a much more serious way, that is what's happening here with the church of Corinth and Paul. Similarly to my very poor posture, the Corinthians are taking communion in a very unworthy manner. And Paul, like my chiropractor, is saying, well, it's no secret why you're hurting. If you want to know why you're weak, why you're getting sick, why some of you are dying, it's right here. It's right under your noses. You don't have to go far to look for. Coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner has consequences. Now, they might not always be as serious as death, but there's consequences. Then Paul says, take a look at verse 31. Paul says, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So we have this immediate contrast. Come to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner, and there's consequences. But if we examine ourselves and we judge ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. And we can still come in a worthy manner, just as Abel did. So what does that look like? What does it look like to examine ourselves or to judge ourselves truly? We must first come to a time of confession. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. It says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, as hard as it is, it's that easy. We need to be completely open and honest with ourselves and with God. God, you know me. Come, search my heart. Tell me, convict me of anything that would cause me to come to your table in an unworthy manner. Ask God to search your heart. Ask God to show you and convict you of the ways that you have offended him and repent. Ask God to forgive you for sinning against him and thank him that because of the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross, that we can be forgiven. With that, we come to our fourth C today, which is conclusion. We come to verse 33, and Paul says, So then. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, it really took us for quite a bit of a roller coaster today, didn't it? He's up here correcting the church for their sins, and he comes down to properly explain the Lord's Supper. 
Then he goes back up to show how serious communion truly is, and then if we take it in an unworthy manner, that there will be consequences. And then he comes back down for the conclusion. So then, Paul is taking a deep breath. And he's refocusing himself. So then, my brothers. Now, he's not just talking to the men here, okay? Ladies, you're not excluded. He is just saying, so then, Christians. So then, those who are exalted to the same heavenly places. So then, family. Verse 33 and 34. So then, brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give directions when I come. He brings it back to where we started. He brings it back to the agape feast. He's saying, don't just throw it away. Don't throw it away because it wasn't working. The food did nothing wrong. You guys did something wrong. It says, don't scrap the feast. Just remember why you're doing it. Remember that you're doing it to show one another the love that God showed you first. It says, don't stop taking the Lord's Supper together. Just remember that you're taking the Lord's Supper to proclaim the Lord's death and to look forward eagerly awaiting his return. Let me pray, and then we're going to enter a time of communion together. God, I thank you so much for your word today. God, I pray that it would convict us, that it would change our hearts, and it would lead us to be more like you, to love you more, to strive to be like Jesus. God, and that we would um, be like Abel and not like Cain, that we would be able to come in a worthy manner to, to, to partake in communion together as brothers and sisters, as your body, as your bride. God, I pray that um, you would soften our hearts, you would soften my heart, God, as we come into this time of communion, that you would search us, that you would know us, that you would convict us, God, that we would have repentful hearts as we come into this time of communion.